2: All right, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, You should be present this afternoon at this time for matters on our bond docket. —
0: Courts in session. In Alachua County, Florida, Circuit Court Judge Mark Mosley presides. —
2: If you're tuned in by Zoom, please remember to mute your microphone unless you're called on to speak. —
0: Defendants, their lawyers, their families, and prosecutors, the usual suspects in attendance. But in the age of COVID, Things aren't business as usual.
2: When your name is called, please step up on the podium.
0: Few people sit before the judge in person.
2: Anna Young, 2017 CF 4334A.
0: Including the defendants.
3: Good afternoon, Your Honor. Your Honor, before the court is Anna Young. Uh, She's at the jail and she's currently on the video screen also. Anna
0: Young is standing behind a podium wearing a blue jail uniform and a white long sleeve t-shirt underneath. Her hair is pulled back tight. A blue medical face mask covers her mouth and nose.
3: And this is William Miller on behalf of Miss Anna Young. We are here on our motion <clears throat> for release.
0: Her hands are straight out in front of her, gripping the sides of the podium. She is stone still.
3: One of the things that I wanted to make the court aware of is that Miss Anna Young is the second oldest individual currently housed in the Alachua County Jail. —
0: Anna Young has been charged with first-degree murder. She's pled not guilty. Here in this court, her lawyers are arguing the 78-year-old's life is at serious risk because of COVID-19, so she should be released on bond. —
3: Your Honor, uh, Miss Young finds herself charged with perhaps the most unusual set of crimes I've ever worked on. And the evidence that's attendant to those crimes is also similarly unusual. This case is 30 years old. There is no body.
0: Three decades ago, Anna Young's world looked very different. Then she was head of a deeply religious community called the House of Prayer. The House of Prayer was a place where people gathered to pray, to find community. It was a place where there was help with childcare and children were homeschooled. It was a community that was tight, and it welcomed people who needed help. It was also a place with a lot of secrets. But those secrets are now out because the person closest to Anna has turned her in. This is House of Prayer, an original podcast by UCP Audio. We're going to get into this, deep into this. I'm Leela Day. I'll be your host throughout this story. And I'm Beth Karras. I'm an investigative
4: journalist. I used to be an assistant district attorney in New York City. And I've been looking at this story for almost three years. The House of Prayer was a tight lipped and tightly controlled religious community. This is the story of a group of children and adults who, according to police, were neglected abused, and some even killed. This is also the story of a mother who claimed to be an emissary of God, and a daughter's search for the truth. Despite having numerous contacts with law enforcement, the worst of what went on there remained largely unchecked for years. How did that happen? Children were seen by doctors who suspected abuse, but it still took
0: years before it came to an end. What were the roadblocks? Did investigators look into the alleged abuses? Why wasn't anything done to stop it? Please take care when listening. Some of this is difficult to hear.
4: Chapter One Catania.
5: I'm so thankful that through all the things that we had to do to accomplish this great, beautiful, day that we've celebrated with you. Everything is just
0: wonderful. This is another version of Anna Young. This wedding video was filmed in May 2009, and Anna's youngest daughter, Joy, had just married Demetrius Fluker. Anna is there in nearly every frame, laughing with guests, smiling for pictures. She's in the middle of the dance floor with a circle of guests around her. Her hips are moving to the music, she's strutting and jumping, And the crowd is cheering. Mother and daughter are beaming. Joy wearing a lacy, strapless wedding gown with a train and veil, big, sparkling necklace around her neck. Her mother, Anna, is wearing a peachy pink dress with ruffles in the front and big, puffy shoulders. She is completely covered, long sleeves dress up to her neck and down to her ankles, On her head is an elaborate headscarf that matches her dress.
5: Congratulations, Joy and Demetrius. I love you so much.
0: At this point in the video, with the camera tight on her face, Anna looks into the lens and then up to the heavens.
6: And I just pray that you
5: and Joy will not allow nothing, nobody, anything to come between
6: you. And on your honeymoon, become one as you've never known oneness before and I love you and my is
0: with you. There is nothing odd here. Anna is the stereotypically proud mother of the happy bride. It's clear from the video that mother and daughter are pretty close. But we know now that this wasn't an easy relationship. A lot of things went unsaid. Joy saw the good in her mother and pushed down the things that made her uncomfortable. Well, my mom, I mean,
5: she could show anyone so much love and be so giving and wonderful. I mean, I looked at her as a holy woman, um, and I still love my mom very, very much. I love my mom.
6: Congratulations, Demetrius and Joy.
4: Eight years after this video was taken, Joy and her mother's relationship would fall apart. Joy invited me to her home in an upscale suburb north of Atlanta. Hi. What, is it two Joy's home is really big. It has soaring high ceilings, six bedrooms, two kitchens, and a movie theater.
5: Other side, that will be the bedroom, the bathroom. she have a full kitchen.
4: Joy even built an apartment in the basement that was meant for her mother to live in one day.
5: She'll be back. I figured a good spot here.
4: Joy is the youngest of a big blended family, and the only child of her parents, Anna and Robert. When Anna married Robert, she already had four children. Robert had three. But according to police, one of his daughters, Kathy, disappeared under strange circumstances five years before Joy was born.
5: You know, I wasn't born yet, but I was told that after my sister Kathy died, mom started investigating various religions, you know, even voodoo and everything I heard, trying to find peace because she was so devastated by what had happened. And then eventually she gave her life to God and that's when she felt some peace.
4: Over the next few years, Anna and Robert went all in. They completely shifted how they lived. They went from bell-bottoms and parting in Chicago to being absolutely devoted to God. We're not just talking about in their hearts and heads, but making drastic changes to their lifestyle.
5: I I think ever since I was two years old, I think I wore holy clothes.
4: The whole family began wearing these holy clothes. For Joy and Anna, they wore dresses that went down to their ankles, their heads completely covered, much like a nun in a habit. For Robert, it meant flowing robes and growing a long beard. If you had seen the family walking down the street back then, you might not have been able to pin down exactly what religion they were, but it would have been clear they were extremely devout. Joy remembers how deep in it her mom was.
5: She was praising, worshiping so much that the Holy Spirit uh,
0: filled her body and she began to speak in unknown language. At some point, Anna and Robert decided they needed to start their own church. So the family moved to Georgia, and Robert began preaching in his living room to a small group of people.
5: We were very poor. Uh, We even had an outhouse on the property. I know we had a bathroom inside the house, but it had an outhouse. Uh, There was a mud pond in the back. I remember that distinctly because I loved, always have loved water. I used to pretend like I was in a pool when I took a bath. And uh, one time, I got in trouble because I decided to go swimming in the mud pond. And Mom, I got in trouble, but she also thought I looked so cute, took a picture of me covered in mud
0: because I, you know, could have died I was in that mud pond trying to swim. They later packed up and headed farther south to Florida. As membership grew, they bought an eight-acre farm just outside of Micanope, Florida. It was a place where tall oak and sweet gum trees naturally kept everything shaded. If you ventured too far into the surrounding fields, you have to be on the lookout for alligators and snakes. Word began to spread that folks who were a bit down and out were welcomed. They'd be fed, have a place to sleep, and a sense of community. And they would join in worship. This is where the house of prayer really took root.
5: Um, We would, you know, go out street witnessing. You know, our Jehovah Witnesses go around house to house. We would go house to house and we would have, you know, Bible truths and uh, pamphlets. And truth. Where were you going? Just houses, like go to neighborhoods where, you know, underprivileged people were, uh, public housing places and like rough areas and stuff like that. How were you received by people when you were knocking on their doors? Would they invite you in and talk? Some people would get very angry. I remember doors being slammed. I remember getting scared that someone was going to kill us or kill my dad.
0: But others were more receptive.
5: And I think that's how we, you know, almost recruited some of the people who came and wind up joining in and um, becoming members and staying with us is through meeting them in that way.
0: Once joining the House of Prayer, members' lives were ruled by the Word of God— or more specifically, as Anna interpreted the word of God. She was especially inspired by the rules laid out in the book of Acts, which tells the story of the beginning of the Christian church.
1: The beginning of the church. Jesus had ascended into heaven and the the disciples waited for the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost.
0: This is John Neal. He fills a room. His voice, his laugh, his frame, He says people are constantly asking if he's played pro football.
1: Uh, My mom was having a hard time taking care of us.
0: When he was six, John moved into the House of Prayer in Micanopy with his mother and his little sister, two-year-old Catania. John says his mother was always very religious. And as long as he can remember, she told him that she wanted to serve God. The House of Prayer would give her that chance.
1: Anna Young was very uh, charming and, you know, charismatic. And she, they acted like they were really followers of Christ.
0: She was also a young single mother with two little kids to raise.
1: The House of Prayer, they came along and offered free childcare. My mom took us out there.
0: Once there, John and his family blended right into life on the farm.
1: It was my whole world. <laughs> um it was it was animals. It was chickens. It was guineas, there were geese. Snakes every now and then. Uh, me in the barn making stuff.
0: And life was pretty simple at times.
1: A lot of places didn't have electricity. We used kerosene lamps. Some flashlights, but mainly candles. I'm surprised nothing ever burned down.
0: Did you have
4: a telephone and a television?
1: There was a telephone and there was a a big television called an edifying machine. We didn't call it TV.
0: (laughs) Simple, but there were a lot of rules to follow.
1: We didn't call. It was no Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It was first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, Sabbath. There was no January, February, March, April. It was the first month, first day. Those were pagan names. All the all the months and the days of the week named after pagan gods. Couldn't use those. No hello, goodbye, you said glory to the Lord Jesus. That's That was the greeting, glory to Lord. And, and it became, you, you're you supposed to say glory to the Lord Jesus, like if you came in the door in the room, you say glory to the Lord Jesus. But it, it became more like glory to Lord Jesus. <laughs> Everybody said, and you had to greet each other with a holy kiss. Everybody.
0: Becoming a member meant a lot of changes, including a name change. Each person chose a new name based on a person from the Bible. The men were all brothers, the women all sisters. So there was a brother James, brother Luke, sister Priscilla, and a sister Deborah. Anna's husband Robert became brother Jonah, but Anna didn't go by sister. Instead, She was Mother Anna.
1: So that was my life. That was what I figured my life was gonna be. I figured I'd grow up and be brother so-and-so and and have my long beard like the other brothers and preach or whatever.
0: Joy thought she'd grow old at the house of prayer too. Um, I thought I was gonna
5: be the next mother to church. And then as I got older, I had dreams about singing. I would practice Disney songs because I wasn't allowed to watch anything past 1960 at the time, so I would learn songs from old movies and Disney cartoons and stuff, and I would some kind of way thought that I could intertwine that world and people would, you know, look up to me and I'd be accepted.
1: So we eventually started going to school. Um, they had a Christian curriculum. They had school books, and we would have school every day, and the different members would teach us.
0: Beyond school... Everyone, including the kids, were expected to attend religious services three times a day. And everyone had to pitch in and help out.
1: I had to do chores, but nowhere near what the adults had to do. The adults worked like slaves. <laughs> like my mom will tell you to, to this day how, you know, the house was spotless because they were constantly working, cleaning, uh, the place was immaculate. But, it, but me as a kid... I don't remember having to do a lot of work. I spent a lot of time out in the fields playing, just being by myself, because as um, long as I was by myself, I wasn't getting in trouble. <laughs> My biggest thing out there was not getting beat and not going to hell.
4: What John claimed were beatings, Anna saw as discipline.
1: I'm not saying you got a, a weapon every single time, but... That was the primary way of dealing with it. If you did something wrong, you disobeyed, you were disobedient. That was a big word out there.
4: Anna decided who was disciplined and when. Almost no one was spared. According to former members, her reasons were often arbitrary. But Anna always used Bible verses to justify her corporal punishment. So what were you getting punished for? If nobody's questioning Anything. her... just
1: stupid stuff. Like... Um, for me as a child, it could be anything. The minimum f- for Anna was 33 lashes. 33. Because we believed that the Lord Jesus was 33 when he died. So that was, you had to get 33 what lashes. What were you
4: being hit with?
1: Orange electric cords, boards, <laughs> uh, switches the size of that little that tree out there, that small tree. It, it, was a, it wasn't a beating like to break bones. It was just like to hurt you real bad. Like, orange electric cords just ain't going they're not gonna kill you. It's just gonna hurt real bad. And then you swell up and you welt, and then, you know, the welts bust open and you bleed.
4: It wasn't just Anna that John had to worry about. He told me that the other
1: adults were also a threat. And if they felt like I deserved to be disciplined, that's what it was.
4: John may have faced extreme discipline, but according to officials, his baby sister, Catania, faced worse.
1: And I think Anna convinced my mom Catania was a demon, too, because my mama had Catania out of wedlock. And she said she was born in sin. So she convinced my mom that she was born in sin, and she uh, convinced everybody out there that she was a demon. Most of my vivid memories of Catania after that are at the house of prayer. Her wearing the the dress and the head covering and running. Like, Anna always had her running, jogging back and forth, exercising this demon out of Catania, trying to break her.
4: John's memory of Catania is that she had a strong spirit. Even though she was only two, he remembers she would try hard not to cry, something that would infuriate Anna. And according to medical records, it was around this time Catania started to have health issues.
1: Catania started having seizures.
4: It got bad enough that Anna allowed Catania to see a doctor.
1: And Catania spent a couple of days at the doctor's office. And she was too; She couldn't talk and tell them what was going on.
4: Medical records state Catania was prescribed 30 milligrams of phenobarbital for the seizures. But there was no indication that anyone suspected abuse.
1: I'm pretty sure that's how the adults rationalize what Anna was doing, because she, she dehumanized Kate. She turned into an object, a demon. Demons are bad. She wasn't a little baby no more, she was a demon. So, you know. She was two. She was two, she was not a demon. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone?
0: Lori Vallow was the kind of woman who seemed to have it all. But that sweet girl next door was changing.
2: She's lost her mind. So how does she pose a threat to your children? I don't know what she's going to do with them.
0: I'm Sarah Trelevin, and this is Madness of Two. Over the last year, I've been investigating the case of Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell how together police say they plotted the deaths of Lori's two children, JJ and Tylee, something they've denied. Join me in Madness of Two, available wherever you get your podcasts. We came
6: together as a family. John, Kay, and myself. This is John's mother, Leah Vera Aguilion. My grandfather was a minister, and my great-grandmother, whom I lived with, she was like a missionary. So
0: I come from a a very Christian family, very Christian background. Leah Vera was 30 when she moved onto the property, and she accepted the rules laid down by Mother Anna. She adapted to the strict religious life, the hard work, and the long hours— And she was grateful for the help she was promised for her children. But that promise came with a very high price. None of the mothers had contact with their children. Losing control of their children was the cost every mother at the House of Prayer had to accept. Mother Anna was to become everyone's mother.
1: My mom was sister, whoever her name was, but she wasn't my mother. There was no hugging, no kissing. No, I knew she was still my mom, but... I called Anna mom. And Anna was the person that I considered my mom and who, you know, who I wanted to please and all that other stuff. Anna was like the law. Of course, now
6: I'm a totally different person. I, that back then I was going through a lot, you know, you know with you know not, you know, raising my kids, trying to, you know, have the best for them and I thought I was doing the best thing for them with us being all being together and being in unity and them being able to be there with me, but not realizing that I didn't have any contact with them. I knew that wasn't right, but I was afraid to say anything about it or speak up against it. Why were you afraid? Who was making you afraid? Anna. Because they had what they call discipline. They would discipline you.
4: Leah Vera is telling me this now, but she's told the police this, too. I've seen the
6: reports. She'd have one of the other sisters to either give you five or ten... licks in your hand. She would either beat your hand or she would make you lay down and give you 33 stripes. That's what they call it with with an electric cord. I couldn't deal with that. No, my family, my people had never beat me like that. And I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with that being beat with an electric cord. Ooh, no.
4: Lea Vera tried to stay out of trouble, but it wasn't easy. I've not even, I don't even know what I did
6: to anger Anna.
4: Lea Vera told police about the harsh treatment and abuse, including one particular punishment that stands out. She was taken out
6: back, and Anna told others to put Lea Vera in a box. So she said, well, put me in the box. Like a tra- it was a box within a box on a tractor trailer. Big old one of them long tractor trailers, and they had another like, wooden box in there. How, how big was a box? The box was like as big as like an office desk, you know, like a business office desk. And so they took me and put me in that box and locked it. Not only did they lock the box, they locked it. I heard a clink on the trailer. So they just locked me inside there. And I couldn't breathe. I could only lay down on my back and take my feet and push the, the top up to get air, just push the top up. All I, in the nighttime, it was cool, but in the, summer, in the daytime, it was hot. And I would put my feet up so that I could get air. And when I had to go to the bathroom, I thank God, I never had to have a bad bowel movement. All I did was sit on one side and let my bladder be relieved, and I would go to the other side so that I wouldn't have to sit in my urine and go to that side so that I would at least be in a dry place. No food, no water, nothing. The whole time, I was on that trailer locked in that thing.
4: In an interview with authorities, Anna denied locking members in a box, claiming the only box she knew was a shoebox.
0: Keep in mind that while Leah Vera was there, so were her children. She claimed she did not know what their life was really like at the House of Prayer. She'd spent no time with them, not even at night. So I had no,
6: I had no even contact, and she didn't want me to have no contact, not even with John, not even to talk to him. I could see him and wave to him and say hello or whatever, but I couldn't even talk to him, and I barely ever saw Kay. But I thank God, I saw her one day in a in, a, in a room, sitting on a little pot, and I put my hand to my mouth, don't say nothing, don't say nothing, and I kissed her. And uh, that was the last time I saw her alive.
1: I remember a scream,
0: Leah Vera was not on the property on November 21st, 1983, but her son John was.
1: And I remember that the ambulance showed up.
4: Hospital records state that two-year-old Catania was in cardiorespiratory arrest when she arrived at Shann's Hospital in Gainesville that evening. Notes from her medical records indicate that an adult was with her and told doctors the toddler was, quote, irritable, had a fixed stare, and couldn't walk. Then she quit breathing. Unquote.
1: I do remember going to the hospital and seeing Katanya unconscious, laying there with two. It was, I remember tubes, and I remember the doctor explaining what the tubes were. And Anna was in there acting like she was Katanya's mother. And um, and the doctor asked me if I wanted to kiss Katanya because he knew she was my sister, and and. and um, I said no. I looked at Anna first because I knew I wasn't allowed to do that, so I didn't kiss her. There was no affection allowed like that. Katanya basically wasn't my sister, according to Anna. (laughs) There was no hug and kiss. I couldn't hug and kiss my mom either. um, So that was the last time I saw her. She was unconscious in in the hospital.
4: Records go on to say that Catania had not been given her anti-seizure medication since it had run out six weeks earlier. There was an autopsy, and police did follow up. Initially, a detective from the Alachua County Sheriff's Office interviewed Leavera because she was Catania's biological mother. According to the detective's reports, Lea Vera told him she made the decision not to give Catania more medication because she thought her daughter was better. The detective thought there was enough to charge Lea Vera with manslaughter, but prosecutors never filed charges. And for years, it would remain classified as death by natural causes. Today, Lea Vera denies making any decisions about her daughter's care.
1: And after that, I remember her funeral. Excuse me. <clears throat> uh, pink casket, clothes casket. And it was, uh, it almost looked like, it was a bright pink color. Almost like a blanket. You know those little quilt blankets with the square patterns in them? It was pink and it was a small coffin. And I remember all the members were there.
0: Actually, not everyone.
1: My mom wasn't there.
0: Leah Vera wasn't immediately told that her daughter had passed away.
6: I didn't even know where she was buried. I never saw where she was buried. I didn't even know. All I, all they told me, she was dead. I never knew who had her. I didn't know who had her body. I didn't know where she was buried or nothing. I didn't know. They kept all of that from me.
0: Catania is buried about 20 minutes away from where the House of Prayer once stood. The cemetery is peaceful, surrounded by woods. Catania is near the back of the property. We're told this cemetery is segregated by race. It's not as green back here, and it's fenced off.
1: So, this is where my sister's buried. Looking at her like this, it just goes to show... Forgotten
0: there's no headstone no marker there is nothing here to identify who is buried at plot 424 even the county records read unknown
1: It's all overgrown there's no headstone um, look it's just it's like nobody you know I I, I feel bad about it. Um, it shouldn't be like this.
0: Her spot is marked by just a concrete slab. It's smaller than the others. Evidence that a child is buried here.
1: I'm kind of upset, like a little angry, I don't know. Because this just shows, this is, I feel like it's my fault too. Like I could have, I could have did better than this. I could have made sure this, it wasn't like this. But it's, it just plays all in the narrative of a forgotten child to me.
0: Her grave was once in the shade of a large tree. But a few years ago, that tree was cut down. Now there's just a big stump.
1: I, and I feel like I'm a part of that, a little, you know. I could do better than this. And and evidently, nobody else is going to do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm the only one. I'm not the only one that cares, but I'm the only one that's doing anything. All these years later, uh, nobody else is pushing anything. As far as justice goes, it's me. But I am a big brother and I don't know, we never gave a shit, so it's all right. And I'm not going to quit till, till this is right. I'm so I'm sorry, Kay.
3: Your Honor, um, the other thing that I wanted to, to say uh, regarding the risk in this case,
0: back in court with Judge Mosley. The first-degree murder charge Anna is facing is for killing another child, not Catania. The charge she's facing today is for the murder of a boy named Iman Harper, who died about five years after Catania. Anna Young's lawyer is trying to convince the judge that she needs to be let out. The pandemic has made living in jail at Anna's age just too dangerous. As a guarantee, Anna's attorney suggested a $100,000 bond and her family's promise to get her to all court appearances.
2: The court wants to note several things. First of all, I do uh, find...
0: Judge Mosley would not be swayed.
2: Uh, The nature and circumstances of the charge, Uh, are significant. Uh, It uh, includes indeed allegations of a lot of illegal and bad behavior. But in particular, this is the murder and disposal of the body of a child, Uh, a very uh, uh, significant and serious allegation, as serious as they come. Uh, So uh, this is a first-degree murder case. And the risk of catching even a significant disease uh, that could potentially have devastating uh, consequences for people that catch it, but th- that's not sufficient for a release, as as brought before this court. I've reviewed all of the relevant factors. The court sets her bond at two point five million dollars. I ordered that if she posts her bond, she is to be fitted for GPS. And that she's not to leave the state of Florida.
0: So far, no bond has been posted. And as Anna prepares for trial, investigators continue to look into her past. And as these stories resurface, there's a lot more to uncover about what happened at the House of Prayer. On the
4: next episode of House of Prayer.
3: Mitch and my mom. No, I'm not going to do anything like that. I just... You
5: know what I feel like, though Is that what I am? I mean, I just feel horrible. I mean, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. Joy, sure, like, you know what you're like, doing? is this a family? Is this something that a family is supposed to never tell? Like, I don't... I
2: don't
3: know what I'm doing. I think you're doing the right thing, Joy. Uh, you're not making any conclusion. You're passing on information, and it maybe it's already been investigated. Maybe it's never been investigated. But that's what I do for a living, and I'll get to the bottom of it.
0: This podcast was produced by Kathleen Goldhar, Beth Karras, Max Miller, and me, Leela Day. Our associate producer is Alexis Green. Sound design and mixing by Mitchell Stewart. Additional reporting by Laura Isabel Gonzalez and Damon Fairless. Executive producing by Kathleen Goldhar, Beth Karras, and myself. Our UCP audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Jennifer Sears, Josh Lalongi, Susanna Rooney, and Linda Cohen. This is a UCP Audio podcast. For more information, go to our website, ucpaudio.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment.